0: Welcome to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public sector and how it serves the Australian community. My name's Carolyn Walsh and I'll be your host today. I'm also the Chief Executive Officer of the Institute of Public Administration Australia. In the spirit of reconciliation, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we're meeting today, the Ngunnawal and the Ngambri people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging and of course acknowledge the ongoing contribution that they make to the life of our city and this region. I would also like to acknowledge the custodians of all the lands from where anybody is listening to this podcast and joining in this great conversation. As public services around the world increasingly turn to generative artificial intelligence to enhance the way they write policy and create programs, Australia is no exception. From making copywriting more efficient to consulting on strategy, AI has the potential to reshape the way the public sector operates and delivers for Australian communities. I've been doing some testing and playing with ChatGPT myself but I'm a little wary of it and I am keen to learn more from our experts today. So while the potential of the technology is vast, it does have some risks and limitations As it becomes more ubiquitous in the Australian public service, it'll raise important questions around privacy, accountability and bias. In today's podcast, we'll examine how the public sector is currently using AI tools and what opportunities and risks come with the technology and how to leverage it without putting data privacy at risk. Today, we'll speak with two experts in the field to gain insights into the potential of AI and the challenges that come with it. Whether you're a public servant, a policy maker, a policy consumer, or simply interested in technology in society, we're sure that there's a lesson or two for you in this episode. So let's welcome our speakers today. First up is Sally Bailey Nelson. Sally manages the Industry Insights Team at the Department of Industry, Science and Resources. The team shares insights about the challenges and opportunities faced by Australian businesses to inform the design of policy and programs. Prior to this, Sally worked on the Delivering Great Policy Project at the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, and has also had a range of roles across the climate change and defence portfolios. Welcome, Sally excited to be here. Oh, great. Thanks, Sally. And we also have Anthony Murphy with us today. Anthony is the head of Division Technology and Digital, Department of Industry, Science and Resources. Previously, Anthony was the inaugural deputy head of the Australian Space Agency, where he had oversight of the establishment of the agency as well as strategy, policy and day-to-day operations. Welcome, Anthony.
1: Thank you very much. Lovely to be here.
0: No worries. Will we make some jokes about rocket science today?
1: I think we'll just focus. We'll have plenty of jokes around AI, I think, today, but you never know.
0: Enough to keep us going. All right. Well, thank you both for joining us on the episode. So I'm really interested to kick us off by asking you both how you've used generative AI tools for your work so far and what benefits we're finding. Anthony, I might kick off with you if that's okay.
1: Yeah, thank you, uh, Carolyn. We're having a look at Tools such as ChatGBT, maybe not so much as using them in our day to day, but it is more one of the things we need to think about as we explore the tremendous opportunity that's in front of us. You talked about the opportunity, one to four trillion dollars to our economy over the next 15 years, but you did talk about the need to really manage uh, the risks and be mindful. So we're thinking through with input into the National Science uh, Technology Council led by our chief scientist on what are some of the underpinning things of where it could be used. And I know later in the podcast, we'll talk about what are the risks and what do we need to be mindful uh, around these. What we do want to do at this point in time is make sure that we understand the technology and be able to understand the expectations of the community, but importantly understand the current skill set in the APS and where we might need to provide training and awareness about what is AI because we've had this onslaught of Chat GBT and what it can do. However, not everyone understands what is AI and it can be used very ubiquitously. So again, that awareness part becomes so important because we need to really be underpinned in anything we do with these technologies uh, to make sure we understand the data privacy, but importantly, we want to continue to deliver trusted services and trusted advice to the government that which we serve.
0: Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Great point about understanding um, sort of the community expectations around it, as well as understanding that technology. That's great. Thanks, Anthony. So Sally, maybe you can start start us off by telling us a little bit about how you're using AI in your current role.
2: Yeah, I'm coming at it um, pretty much from the opposite end of the spectrum from Anthony in that in my team, um, we are using AI in our day-to-day work. Um, we've been doing that for about a year so far, so we were on this before ChatGPT was cool, um, and we've already seen some really great benefits. Um, the main way that we're using it at the moment is to help us analyze large amounts of unstructured text. Um, so in our industry, through our work, we generate heaps of free text information about business issues and how businesses are interacting with government, um, and it's my team's role to analyze that information and then share it across government so that we can make better policy and programs and services. Um, And we're using AI to help us do that. Um, So to summarize somebody's long meeting notes into a short paragraph, or to categorise business intel into key themes or topics of interest like manufacturing or supply chains or natural disaster impacts, um, or to rewrite existing text in a certain style that, say, removes identifying information about a business. Um, And we've reached the point now where the first draft of one of our weekly reports is automatically generated by AI and process automation. Um, so, the robots are coming for our jobs and I'm all about it. Like, there are huge benefits for my team from a resourcing perspective. Um, I've got a small team and the fact that we can automate that first draft saves us about 50% of our workload. Um, and it's that lower value kind of processy stuff that frees us up for more interesting, higher value, dare I say, more human work. Um, and also, let's us start to tap into data sets that we just haven't been able to look into when it's just with people's eyes alone, um, which is giving us more and more sources of evidence that we can feed back into our decision-making and the design of our policy and programs. Um, So still relatively early days for us so far, but we've had great results and we've got lots of grand plans for where to next.
0: Mm, Fantastic to hear that really practical use that you're making of it, Sally. I did hear someone say the other day that it was like having a brand new APS4 join the team. So it sounds sounds like you've got a similar experience. So on, on paper, using it should be making things more efficient, but what are some of the limitations that you've experienced in using it in your line of work?
2: To be honest, in terms of the technology itself, we've actually found very few limitations. Um, probably the main one, and it, it does um, It does also ring true with what you just said about having a, a brand new person join your team. But I guess the main limitation we found is that um, if the AI model doesn't know the answer or if it doesn't have enough information for the answer, it just takes a lot of creative license and sometimes it goes a bit rogue. Um, so, an example that somebody in my team told me about just before I came in here was um, we had a, some meeting notes that somebody had entered and it obviously human error, the person entering them had literally just written the word the, and that was the entirety of the information they put in the system. And our AI model had turned the into a Victorian manufacturing business reports positive feedback from customers on a new product it's developing. (laughs) So, as you can see there, you know, AI will generate facts or it'll just make up or misattribute quotes to people or it will create completely new words by mashing two existing words together or you know we've seen some of the hilarious bloopers about you can't really do maths Um, but it will present it in a way that is really confident and really quite plausible so I guess the main limitation we found is if you're not carefully fact-checking everything um, you, you could get caught out yeah
0: There's some real limitations there. Okay, so it's a a little bit buyer beware in using it. Okay, so Anthony, hearing some of those limitations is really um, useful, but thinking about some of the, the risks potentially when the public sector might start using it more broadly. So your division is responsible for providing advice to government on the new tech frontier, including quantum technologies, AI, cyber, and the broader digital economy. What are some of the risks that we might need to be mindful of when working with these technologies?
1: Yeah, thank you for the question, uh, Carolyn. So Sally provides some good examples of how AI can be used, uh, and also some of the limitations there. And one of the big ones that does come out, and I think you mentioned in your introduction, the bias of data and understanding the data sources. That's one of the big uh, areas you need to understand about where it is bringing information from. And there's two aspects to this. Firstly, you need to understand the limits of the data that's in place. For example, in ChatGBT3, it was limited uh, to 320 20 whereas new data sources uh, might have more up-to-date information so the data might not be relevant it also might have misinformation and what it does with your APS4 that we're talking about It means the APS4 now needs to understand the data the bias and how to recognise whether there is truth in the data. So I think that's one of the areas we really need to have a a think about. And when we're thinking through the other risks, it comes back to the role of government is in delivering trusted services and trusted advice uh, to the government of the day. So when we're thinking through, we really need to have that lens about what are some of the frameworks that can help us manage uh, the risks. So in light of that, it is the privacy how do we make sure the data is secure? We're dealing with millions of people throughout the the year through our services. How do we ensure that data is safe? And we already know the public is well aware of this with the recent data breaches. So with AI coming on board and being used, how do we give that trust? And that's that pillar that we really need to build linked to that is transparency, how how are decisions made so that there is accountability. It comes back to the principles of working in the public service, that accountability and transparency, and how can we use these tools to deliver services or advice, but in a way that is uh, to the expectations of the community. And I think that's the other part in in any of these technologies, we need to make sure there's this real human-centric approach we understand the implications and the sensitivities, and when we're delivering these activities through these new tools. And the last one is also not only just around the uh, the data, um, and not and it's and, uh, it's the awareness of who's using the tools. So, what are the guardrails? So we understand what is responsible use of artificial intelligence understanding that this is how you use the data this is where it might be okay and I think this is the work that the where the public service and government can lead by demonstrating how we can put those particular aspects in place so there's a an immense opportunity and I think when you listen to all those risks but you hear the story from Sally on the opportunity where this is where the public service needs to think about well how do we balance those risks in a way that we can test the technologies and see where we can develop and be more effective and efficient, because this can really help us with productivity. But at the same time, how do we um, go back to the core principles of what we need to do in the public service around accountability, trust? And this is pretty important because the other part that I forgot to mention was, of course, the data, in that we chat GBT, it uses open source data. Um, where I think the technology might go in the future is use the tool of AI, but not necessarily on open data. We might find there's actually specific data sets that are created so you can use the ai on your own data which means you can trust the source and verify the source so again thinking through the evolution of how we use these ai tools Using that type of approach means we can get to a place where we're trusted and we're meeting those community expectations. So those are just some of the areas that we're very much thinking about.
0: Yeah, I I like that, being able to put some um, containment around how we're using it. Yeah, it's fascinating. So Sally, we know there's no formal guides yet. Anthony's just set out what some of the considerations are in setting out some sort of formal guides. But I'd really love to hear your thoughts about why it's important to have these sort of guardrails, and maybe from a practical point of view, what kind of guardrails you're currently using in your work at the moment.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would echo everything that Anthony just said there. Um it- and some of the ways that we're managing those risks is is honestly just by avoiding them. Um, so, you know, questions about data security, um, everything we do is on a computer server that sits in the basement of our building that is not connected to the internet. So there's no risk of anyone breaching it there. Um, you know, what Anthony was talking about around trust and accountability and sort of transparency and how it's used in decision-making, um, we haven't really grappled with that because this is really just creating a zero draft for us. So, everything that the AI does for us is reviewed by at least one, but often more, um, sets of human eyes. And we check it, we catch it, we change it, we add context, you know, we assess for risk. Um, we have we have erred in a very risk-averse way um, f- for exactly all of those reasons that Anthony outlined. Um, because exactly as he said, you know, when, when I think about how we're applying it in relation to, you know, our work, the, those guardrails are so important because the stakes are so high for us as public servants. You know, if if AI makes a blooper, when you're having a rap battle in Shakespearean verse or whatever. Like, it's funny and you put it online and everyone has a laugh. But for us, our core business, like we're advising government, we're supporting citizens and businesses, we're dealing with sensitive issues and vulnerable people and that public trust and accountability and holding ourselves to a higher level of scrutiny is, is, it's really important we get it right. So, I'm all for those frameworks and checks and balances in place that that help us do that.
0: I, I love that. So taking some risks, but in a controlled way. Can you maybe explain for me and maybe some of our listeners who didn't quite understand the bit about it being in the basement? so you're you're using the generative AI,
2: but it's in the basement. How does that work? <laughs> this gets funny when um, I tell you that we've we've named our AI system Dave. So we keep Dave locked in the basement. Um, what I mean by that is it's just on a computer that's sitting offline. So none of our information is hosted in the cloud. It's not connected to the internet, so it's not able to be hacked. Um,
0: so you've effectively downloaded a version of the the AI and put it on a standalone computer and then you can feed your data into it knowing that it's not being picked up somewhere else.
2: Exactly right. Actually, I was thinking about this when Anthony was talking about um, older models of these open source AI being trained on pre-2020 data. We actually found that when we started using this um, last year was that the model didn't know what COVID was because it was trained... <laughs> 2020 and COVID wasn't a thing. Um, so, yes, again, just nodding furiously along with everything that Anthony said. Excellent. So, Anthony, we couldn't
0: really have opened up a conversation about generative AI without actually giving the technology a go ourselves. So we've used a fairly common AI tool and asked it how it would go about regulating itself. And it's given us five main areas to focus on. So I thought I might just outline them. So the first is protecting data privacy. It says that there should be strict regulations in place to ensure that user data is collected and stored securely. The second is it says that we should be mitigating bias through training AI on diverse data sets and ensuring that it doesn't perpetuate bias or discrimination. Third, it says we should be transparent about AI's capabilities and limitations. Fourth, it says we should be building an accountability mechanism in case the AI is misused or causes harm. And finally, it says that we should be continuously improving the technology to ensure that it is operating at the highest ethical standards. So what are your thoughts on these things and do you think the AI tool got it pretty right? Yeah,
1: When you were reading through that list, uh, Carolyn, I was, I was nodding. There were several areas where actually it reflects much of the conversation the three of us have had today already. And as I was thinking through those areas, my mind did turn to, well, where did that data come from? And some of the similarities that are there, Australia was leading in responsible AI, has been for many years. And one of the ways we've done that is we did release uh, eight principles. For ethics in the design for AI to ensure it's safe, secure, and reliable. So I'm just wondering (laughs) is this ChatGBT here is just drawing on some of the work that we some of our great people in the public service have previously developed. And so you could say this is where the benefit where ChatGBT and these models and these generative AI can really pull the data and they've outlined the, the key principles. And it's absolutely it is around data privacy. Mitigating bias, but there are a couple that were that were missing that I think is is really important to draw out. So I talked about transparency, but there's a fairness principle that we need to introduce, and not just accountability. We need to think about contestability, and that becomes quite important with when we're providing advice or delivering uh, services and reliability and safety. So I don't know if this is ChatGPT's way of just talking about some of the things, not all the things, so it has a little bit more scope to undertake activities when it's regulating itself, but I think it does do a good start on the key areas that we need to uh, think through. And to give the listeners context as well, the earlier models of ChatGBT for it to pull that material together and why it does it so well is it draws on about, I don't know, 175 billion different parameters like that is a lot it means it can actually articulate and draw these different pieces of information so for example it could come from the document that this department has released it could come from the oecd and and synthesize the exciting thing about new models is they're now being trained on trillions of parameters which is why you're seeing it so fast and what's interesting is that these models and these tools are generating outcomes that the providers and developers did not even uh, uh, expect. And so this brings me to the accountability and the transparency point that was drawn out. And when we've been talking to industry and academics about what is the way forward, what is the way? It's not just accountability but the assurance because when we think through regulation, it is do we regulate the technology or do you regulate its use where it's uh, it can have harm. And it's like thinking through the TGA in medicines. We don't regulate the molecule, but we regulate where it's used. So again, we're thinking through these frameworks about, as we think through the principles, how is the best way then to look after the technologies and where we tend to, particularly when we're in an emerging tech area, this principle-based approach Uh, becomes quite important because we need to come to the community's expectations, government's expectations, businesses' expectations, so that we actually land the right way. And the other thing that's very mindful, and we're working with the DTA on things like this as well, how do we work across the whole APS who have different user needs? And that means they've got different risk profiles. So how do we work collectively across the service to think through these issues and come up with principles so there is flexibility for different areas being able to deliver service yet embrace some of the great opportunities that are there.
0: Absolutely, and particularly for organisations that might need to use it when it's not locked up in the basement, fascinating. So I'm going to throw to both of you for some practical tips for our listeners when they're using AI and maybe exploring it and having a think about how it might be able to help them. How might they make the most of the technology, but also mitigate some of those risks that we've just talked about, particularly if they don't have access to Dave in the basement where they know it's kind of a safe environment to play with it? Sally, I might ask you to go first, if that's okay.
2: Sure. I I was thinking about this one um, and approaching it in a very applied way. Um, I guess my tips would be for how you get from a, you know, this is a really exciting new technology into this is something that we're using in our day-to-day work every day. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, one of the ways we've done that is by being really strategic about where we've started. So there are a bunch of areas that we we could have delved into that would have been with data that was maybe um, at a higher classification level or on a, a separate system. And for, for all of those reasons that we spoke about earlier, we just went with the least risk approach. Um, I guess, I guess the first tip that I would would give would be to look for an opportunity where there is a genuine business need for AI, rather than just a desire to to play with something shiny. Not that it, not that there's anything wrong with playing with shiny things. I love it, and you know we've all played with Chat GPT. Um, but I guess we've had the most success in applying it and getting good benefits and managing the risks where we've looked for a problem or a process um, that AI can help with, rather than starting from the place of what can we apply AI to? So some examples of that, you know, we need a a cool recording transcribed into words, or, um, you know, we need lots of information clustered into key themes, or um, we need, you know, text rewritten in a certain style. And those are all things that AI can do as part of its business as usual. Um, I guess a bonus points there for practicality if it's something that you're already doing um, because then you've got a lot of training data. So for my team, we've been producing this weekly report for two years already. So we just had hundreds and hundreds of examples of this is what we started with, this is what we want it to look like, and then we could teach the AI to do it exactly how we wanted it um, rather than having to kind of go in there and refine it um, because it wasn't quite hitting the mark. Probably the other tip I would have would be to start small and this again goes to that risk conversation but also more from a practical perspective. um, I guess it's really easy to to get overwhelmed and then just do nothing Um, or the flip side to, to scope a big massive project that's then... Um, you know, it takes years to progress and then by the time you actually get to fruition, um, it's outdated because things are advancing so quickly in this field. So, I guess um, scope something really small and manageable, test it, get it working, that allows you to manage those risks in a really controlled way. Add something on, repeat, venture into something else. Um and then that helps you a bit of a builder and they will come approach. You know, you build momentum, you build interest, you build support for your work. You can demonstrate that you're managing the risks in a really applied way. Um, and probably um, most crucially, you can build support from your IT team because they hold the keys to all of the resources that you need for these kind of computing resource heavy models to actually run. Um, so, those would probably be my really practical tips on how to get something going while managing risks.
0: Thanks. And Anthony, tips
1: from you? So I've been also thinking about what would the tips be, and I'll start with the way we've been approaching working with SMEs and our small businesses and many other businesses, and we're really encouraging the adoption of responsible AI. We've invested in a centre in Data61 in CSIRO called the National AI Centre, which is really taking the lead on the adoption of responsible AI through a network. So I think our, the first tip is I'd encourage those that are thinking about AI to read the the principles that we've released and understand how we're what are those principles because government really can be a leader here and it's important as we think about these technologies where we're an exemplar in the responsible use of AI. I like Sally's points around starting small. So and we're thinking about are there sandboxes that we can create where it's a safe environment to do it? Maybe not Dave in the in the basement. Um, we'll think about. other way but what is the way we can put some barriers around and test how this technology evolves i think that becomes quite important and they're human in the loop like i think there there is a synthesis ability to look for data to look for bias to understand the data sources so i think those elements are important and i think it means those that are looking to use ai making sure they've got the skills and they're building their teams around them with the relevant skills so they understand the, the implications. But importantly, I think as you're thinking through AI, engage the executive, talk through what it is, explain the opportunities, because the more we build awareness, there's a greater understanding of both the opportunity and how we manage uh, the risk. And I think that's going to be a really important because we don't maintain the dialogue there can be a, a, an aversion to looking at what some of the opportunities are, but we have to do this very carefully in a measured way so that what are the sandboxes? Start small, work big, let people around you know you're working on it and how you're managing the risk. I think that's some of the best things you can do. You've thought through the processes you've identified where there's minimal minimal impact, or it's delivering a service that, for example, the data is contained, or it's generating reports just to show the the feasibility. Using that principle as well, not technology for technology's sake. So I know I look after the technology and digital division, but it is very much where does it make sense uh, to use these particular technologies? And again, reinforcing coming back to. What is the role of the public service? How do we make sure we keep those values of democracy meeting communities expectation, but importantly, delivering services to the community and providing advice to government? you know, having those principles in your mind. And the last thing I'd add, not necessarily as a, as a tip, but as we go forward and thinking about these technologies it was Yeah, there are quips. Uh, what does it mean for jobs in the future? I think there's going to be many jobs uh, in the future. There was talk around the internet I- impacting jobs. I can say that the digital economy and the digitization of the economy has continued to see digital skills grow. It's around 9% in Australia. Even with AI coming in, it changes the work that we do. There is a recognition around transitioning into new jobs or understanding the technology reskilling and that's an important part of the public service we need to embrace as well how do we understand and train so that we can use these technologies and be that exemplar and i think that will position us quite well going forward
0: thanks anthony so to wrap us up anthony what are some of your hopes for how ai might be used in the public sector in the future
1: i think there's tremendous opportunities Going forward, uh, there's a recent Boston Consulting Group report that talks around process improvement in businesses, and a, a 10% improvement can result in billions of dollars over the years through many of these businesses. So, looking at that lens, many are already using AI. For example, designing new drugs, uh, so understanding how molecules interact in the body or how new antibiotics respond. Because AI can use and look at data very quickly compared to humans, they can test a range of different methodologies or different types of chemicals a lot faster. That is there. And I know we're not talking about quantum today, but when you combine quantum computing, when it comes here with AI, this just gets turbocharged and what potentially we could do. We know. Getting to net zero is really important. So, AIs is used in energy networks to optimize the flow of energy. It's used to design new technologies as well about how to make lithium batteries more efficient, which means it reduces charging time. And again, we're using it in businesses where we use it in Amazon or other technologies each day where it's able to respond to generic questions. So, there's all these real opportunities. I said, and that's in the economy. So, then we turn to the government where can we use it and i think again with the principle of being exemplars around responsible use of ai there are many areas around looking at data providing it we've got human in the loop looking at new ways and testing our own ideas so we spend a lot of time if we're developing policies on what options could be we've now got a new aps4 that can test ideas uh, what do they see and of course with the caveat make sure you're using the right data sources, et cetera. But in the future, if we have a generative AI on bespoke data that is protected and uh, contained, there's immense opportunities for us really to be more efficient. And that's just in a policy sense. Of course, our service delivery areas have immense opportunity to think through how this can be used. But I do leave with that earlier point, um, always the, the principles of ensuring we're using a responsible AI trust, accountability and transparency becomes really, really important and working with the community so they understand and importantly also working with our executives to explain the technologies and the implications and being very transparent as we go through and play with what is going to be a really exciting time in the future.
0: That is really exciting. Sally, what hopes do you have for the use of AI in the public sector in the future?
2: I mean, I think we haven't made enough space references yet, so I'm going to say the sky's the limit here. Um, but I think there's huge opportunity for us, exactly as Anthony outlined, for us to use this technology to become a better public service, you know, to, to better inform our policy and decision making, to to better understand the needs of the people that we're delivering services to and, and making policy for, um, to better integrate information across government, to work more efficiently and do more with less. Um, I'm my hopes are saving us from some of the soul crushing drudgery that we do and free us up for more of the higher value and more interesting work. Um, And I guess my team is really starting to scratch the surface of some of these things in the way that we're applying AI at the moment. But my hope is that across the APS, this just becomes part of our business as usual and that we can navigate some of those, um, the risks and the limitations that that we've been discussing to to harness the technology to, to help us do great things. And that sounds so cheesy, but I really mean it.
0: Sky's the limit. I love it. Anthony, I think you had one more tip you wanted to offer.
1: I did. Uh, as we talk through cool. the principle of trust bias in data, one of the big opportunities I'd like to see in the future is how we can use these technologies to address uh, equality and inclusion, we know there is a risk in data sources in continuing a bias that's in the data. And sometimes it's a hidden bias we don't see. So, the more we can look at these technologies and understand that, at the principle of many things we're doing, we're trying to build technologies and capabilities for the whole Australian community and overcoming Ill- uh, the inequality that is there, the uh, being more inclusive, how we do it. And, of course, one thing we look at the voice of parliament this year, but also engaging with our First Nations people, how do we these use these technologies so we're cognizant of different cultures as we go in, which becomes really, really important. I think when you look at AI as the opportunity and, and awareness of how we engage the community, there's tremendous benefit to overcome some of the barriers we've probably seen in the, in the past.
0: Thanks, Anthony. If we can use AI to address rather than further embed bias and prejudice, that would be a remarkable outcome. That's really hopeful. Thanks for sharing that. So that's all we have time for today. Thank you, Anthony. And thank you, Sally. That's been an absolutely fascinating conversation. Listeners, if you want to read some more about the resources um, that we have referred to in today's show, make sure to check out the show notes. And before we let you go, make sure you connect with IPA ACT or Content Group on LinkedIn or by sending us an email to events at act.ipa.org.au. The Work With Purpose podcast is produced in collaboration with Content Group and the Institute of Public Administration, Australia ACT, and we're supported by the Australian Public Service Commission. We'll be back with another episode in a fortnight, but in the meantime, there's plenty of public sector content for you to catch up on. You can listen to prior episodes of Work With Purpose on all podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and more. Last but not least, if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review. It really helps us to improve and get the word out about this podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Goodbye.
1: Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission.